Good morning, friends. By popular demand, I wanted to share with you what I wrote two weeks ago for the Frankenmuth News. It's a New Year's poem. The most wonderful time of the year has concluded, the excitement of winter break slightly diluted. Staying up late and sleeping in as the rule, we thought, would these kids ever go back to school? We cooked and we cleaned and completed home projects. We shopped and returned all the Christmas gift rejects. We visited family, hung out with friends, wishing all this Yuletide bliss would not end. As we thought about going back to work and to class, we found our mood toward 24 rather crass. From presidents and politics, divisions and wars, could we please get a break in the new year from those? Air travel's expensive, consumer prices restrictive. Could our economy please get a brand new directive? But before we cashed it in, went and jumped in the casts, we contemplated God's peace in our lives at long last. The one who was, still is, and is coming. And injustice and evil will find their undoing. Much more than catering to preferential opinions will be God on his throne exercising his dominion. The true son of God who was born in a manger has come to the world to rescue all those in danger. His life he did give, his love he did share, so that every person on the planet would know that he cared. So what do we do in the new year before us? Do we grumble and mumble, join in the dark chorus? Or shall we consider a new response to our reeling, one with God in the mix of our thoughts and our feelings? His presence assures us, his power incites a more robust trust in our faith, not our sight. And just when we think we'll be more of the same, we remember the baby, we remember the name. And the gloom of the weather or the doom of the day finds no match in the one who claimed he was the way. So in this new year, for you and for me, please be of good cheer because Jesus loves thee. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this new year of 2024 before us. And we thank you for your gifts of grace and truth for our lives. Because we have the love and forgiveness of Christ for ourselves. And to share with our family and friends and all those you have placed and will place in our lives. We pray for your spirit's power and presence to be with us this day and this year. And Lord, especially in this service, as we receive your word and prepare to receive the Lord's Supper once again. All this we ask and pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You've heard of a State of the Union address. You've heard of a State of the State address. This is a State of the Church address. What is a State of the Church address, you ask? This is the opportunity once a year or so for a pastor to come and to talk to you about how the church is doing, especially in the United States of America, but also how the church is doing right here in good old Frankenmuth, Michigan with St. Lawrence. The statistics that I'm going to share with you, sometimes we get them from multiple sources. All the statistics for this message are from the Barna Group, which does um, valid statistics for life and ministry, for church and culture, and they've been doing it well for decades. Um, This most recent batch is from the last year, 2023, and these were published on December 27th, 2023. All that is to say is that the research that I'm going to share with you in summary fashion is valid and it's relevant. And I believe it'll be meaningful for us to receive and to reflect on this morning. First is this idea of people's opinion of the Christian faith and their openness to the things of God, to spiritual things. And the survey was made, thousands and thousands of people surveyed, both Christians and non-Christians, and everyone in between. So there's no distinctions in terms of faith life. And among adults, this is what the Barna Group found. 
77% of adults believe in God or an idea of God. 74% want to grow spiritually. And this trend has increased since COVID. So there's a greater openness to God and the things of God since COVID's happened. And we often see that when tragedy strikes. People go to church more, uh, they're more concerned with praying, and they're more interested in the things of God. That trend continues. But not just among adults, among teenagers, again, non-Christians and Christians were surveyed in this, 71% want to learn more about Jesus. 57% are positive about Christianity, 54% even about pastor kinds of people. Can you believe it? What I love about this is it goes against an idea that we have sometimes as Christians and as the church that, boy, fewer fewer people like us. People don't want to hang around us and they're skeptical of us. They kind of stay away, they stay clear. And the survey says, well, no, not so much, not so much. Now, the survey did have some ideas about reasons why people doubt or are skeptical of the Christian faith or church. Prior experience with the church was one of them. And yes, sometimes we as the church have hurt people spiritually or emotionally. Yes, sometimes St. Lawrence Lutheran Church has hurt people spiritually and emotionally. And yes, sometimes Pastor Brad has hurt people spiritually or emotionally. Do we intend to do this? Absolutely not. But sometimes, living in a sin-filled and fallen world, dealing with sinful people, it happens. So we apologize for that. We own what's ours in that, and we work to do better as we try to share the grace and truth of Jesus with others. Other things that bother people are human suffering throughout the world. This age-old question of why does a good and graceful God, who's all-powerful and all-knowing, allow evil and suffering to happen? When suffering happens, especially to you, sometimes we question God. That's a very common response. The hypocrisy of Christians comes into play. In other words, people who say this and state this, but then live like this and do this. When beliefs don't match behavior, that's what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable sometimes. Christian nationalism. This is on the rise, my friends. What is Christian nationalism? Basically, it's the idea that instead of us being for God, we would like to think that God is for us and people like us and my particular political party and my particular candidate within that party. And so we're going to champion that as God's will. That's not in scripture. Now, are there good quality Christian candidates? Yes. Where are they? I'm not sure. Just kidding. (laughs) But they're there somewhere. No, they're there. They're there. They might not be as Christian as we want them to be. They might not have all their ducks in a row in terms of lining up with all of our Christian beliefs and values. Uh, But to say that your candidate is the God-ordained candidate, that's what people on the outside of the church find rather distasteful. Conflict in the world was another reason. That's wars and conflicts all over the world. Why are these things happening? And sometimes in the name of a God, it might not be our God, but in the name of religious beliefs. And then uh, having all the answers, science versus religion, etc. What this one was basically about was not just like creation evolution or science and theology, not that debate or or not that dialogue that that has existed for, for decades and decades, but 
rather the approach people take. What the survey found is that people were skeptical about one person or place having all the answers. And what they really didn't care for were um, smarty pants, know-it-alls. You know the kind, you're sitting right next to one of them. But you know, those people who have all the answers that answer for every aspect of life and they kind of think they know it all and they certainly want to share that with you because obviously you don't. Again, no one really likes that or cares for that and people outside the faith don't like that when faithful people act like that or behave like that, which again seems to me rather reasonable for that one. So that's kind of the bad news. That's the reasons people doubt the Christian faith or are skeptical of the church. But there's good news. And the good news is that among the thousands and thousands of people surveyed, Christian and non-Christian, people want to talk. And they want to talk to someone who will listen to them, who will befriend them, who won't judge them, who won't force them to make a decision or to agree with them right in that moment, in that very conversation. They want someone who knows that they will care about them even if they don't sign on the dotted line and join the church or join the group or come to the Bible class. They want someone who really cares about them and is interested in them and will listen to them and consider their ideas and opinions. They want someone who's honest and will also share their struggles with faith and life. And friends, haven't we all had those at one time or another? They want someone who's real. Someone who will, again, take the time and be patient with them. So many times as Christians, we think we have to convert people right in the moment. Jesus says, I, you know, that I need to share my faith. And yes, he does share, say that. He does want that. But that doesn't mean you have to convert them in that conversation. Besides, the work of conversion, someone coming to the faith and believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, is a result of the Holy Spirit. Your job is to provide faithful witness to these folks. In their book, <clears throat> Churchless, by David Kinnaman and George Barna, they found that in their survey results, people expected certain things about the Christian church. People in the culture knew the church to be a place that would provide certain things for them. And they expected that and they wanted that from churches. What kind of things? Well, things like doing good in the world. Being a place that you can find peace with God and peace with others. Being a place where people could worship together find wisdom for life, and also have a positive witness for others. They expect us to do these things. They found that the church would be a place where youth could be mentored, and also they could, they could find discernment in life. In other words, help with making decisions in life, help with their priorities. The good news is that those are things that we do as the church, and those are things that we expect of our church as well. Well, it turns out the culture expects that of us as well. And that's great news. The number one thing, though, that people in the culture expected from the church and wanted from the church was this idea of loving God and loving people. That's the number one thing. Fascinating that Jesus shared that very aspect of what the Christian life was supposed to be like. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. The second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two 
hang all the law and prophets. In other words, the sum total of the, the scriptures would be loving God and loving people in Jesus' name. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus commanded. Love God and love people. And the culture says, hey, you know what the church should be about? Loving God and loving people. Sometimes, friends, we're okay with loving God. Loving people, a little trickier. Why? Because <laughs> they're people and they're not us. God, forgive us for the times we haven't done it. But God, empower us to do just that. To love others as we love ourselves and to do so in Jesus' name. The call of Nathaniel was a peculiar one, this disciple of Jesus in John chapter 1. Nathaniel finds himself under a fig tree. What's he doing there? Contemplating, reflecting, perhaps even praying. Philip, his friend, comes to him. Philip has encountered Christ already. Nathanael has not. Jesus said to Philip, follow me. Philip says, okay, I will. And so Philip follows Jesus. Philip cares about his friend Nathanael, wants Nathanael to know Jesus as well and follow him as Messiah. And so Philip engages Nathanael. Nathanael, we found him. We found the one. We found the Christ. We found the anointed one. We found the Messiah. We found this promised Savior of the Old Testament. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. He's the son of Joseph. Interesting Nathanael's response. Nathanael, a Jewish guy, an Israelite, perhaps even a rabbinical student, perhaps. We're not sure, but perhaps. And there's more on that in a little bit. But he's one that would know the Lord God. He would know Yahweh. He would know about the promises of the Messiah. And of all that Philip was sharing with him about Jesus, his one objection, concern, note, his pushback was location. Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? That would be like us saying, Tuscola. Can anything good come from Tuscola? There are other towns too. What's Pastor Brad got against Tuscola? Man, he's always... <laughs> nothing, nothing. But interesting. Philip says, come and see. Nathaniel just does that. Why does Nathaniel go with Philip, though? Fascinating. Could it be the work of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Could it be interesting intrigue about who this Jesus is and, and being able to decide for himself whether he really is the Messiah or not? Sure. Could it be that Philip's a friend? And then he trusts Philip. Could be that too. Why would someone follow you to see Jesus? Because of who you are. Because of how you treat them. Because of the life they faith, of faith that they see in you. Because of the grace and truth of Jesus that exudes from you. In your language. In your approach with people. In how you live your life. In how you order your family. and how you're a friend with others. All kinds of reasons why God would be using you to reach out and connect with another person. But for Philip and Nathaniel, they go to see Jesus. Jesus far away says, behold, here is an Israelite, this Nathaniel, one in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, says Nathaniel? Or in other words, you don't know me. <laughs> Jesus says, yes, I do. I saw you under the fig tree before Philip came to see you. Nathanael immediately proclaims faith in Jesus, saying, Rabbi, teacher, 
You are the son of God, a messianic characteristic. You are the king of Israel, another messianic characteristic. Amazing. Now, it makes certain sense if Nathaniel is this rabbinical student, and rabbinical students by a fig tree not only contemplate life and reflect, they also pray. What do they pray? Well, according to tradition, perhaps, one of the things that they'd be praying for is the coming Messiah. Could it be that Nathaniel, rabbinical student, was under the fig tree praying for the Messiah to come, and Philip says, hey, come and see this guy. I think he's the Messiah. Amazing. It's possible. But enough about Nathaniel. What about you and what about me? What doubts do we have? What fears regarding our faith? What concerns us when we think about sharing our faith with others? Do we have enough information to share? Do we have the right argumentation? Is this the right time or not? All the fears, all the doubts, all the frustrations. Those who've come before us in the faith have had them as well. And God still calls us to be faithful to him and faithful to this call to share him with others. Friends, I believe the call on our lives is twofold. Number one, that we receive saving faith in Christ, that we receive the love and forgiveness of Christ for ourselves. God's grace is for us. His love is for us. And his presence and power is promised to us through the Holy Spirit, who we received in baptism, just like Serena did this morning. Then the second aspect of God's call in our life is to not only have saving faith in Christ, but share saving faith in Christ with others. How do we do that? Through our attitudes and actions. Yes, through invitation, but basically coming alongside those in need and serving them in Jesus' name. Listening to them in Jesus' name. Loving them in Jesus' name. No manipulation. No magical light show. No theatrics. Just Jesus. Can I get an amen on that? What is going on back there? All right. We'll deal with that later. By the way, <laughs> I'm glad you're all here today. Thanks for joining us here. Glad you got here safe and sound. Special welcome to all those joining us online at home through channel 191 or our live stream platforms. We're grateful for that opportunity to worship together with you in spirit and truth, even from home. Thank you for joining us. Friends, we are blessed as a congregation to be those who have received faith in Jesus Christ and have been called to share that faith with others. I want to share with you some statistics about our congregation as it relates to the 350 other congregations in Michigan that are also, also of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Between 2009 and 2022, post-pandemic, they did statistical analysis of weekend worship attendance. As you can see from that top category, those congregations worshiping 500 or more, number 28 in 2009. In 2022, only eight. In that bottom category, those worshiping 40 or less on a weekend, in 2009 it was 48, it doubles in 2022 to 96. The number of congregations is not diminishing. We still have the same number and probably have added two since 2009, but the trends of worship attendance and participation are changing. And I believe they're going in the wrong direction. Lord, have mercy, and God help us to reverse that trend so that we can connect more and more people to Jesus. As far as St. Lawrence is concerned, from 2023 
We had an average of about 1,200 in weekly worship, and Christmas services had about 6,400 in attendance in the month of December. And then, over all the last year, we had 82 baptisms where infants, children, and adults received the gifts of faith, forgiveness, and the promise of forever through Christ. 45 confirmation students. Most of those are eighth grade students, but there are some adults as well. 22 weddings where people promised before God that they were going to be faithful to him and to each other for the rest of their lives. One man, one wife for life. 97 new members joining our family of faith saying, hey, I want to hang out with you guys and learn more about Jesus with you and serve others in his name. And 53 funerals where people received the crown of glory and they transitioned from this life to the next because of Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. Amazing statistics and amazing blessings for us as a family of faith in St. Lawrence. And we praise God for that. Friends, what does this mean for us? I think it means that God is good. I think it means that God is blessing what we are doing. And as we continue to follow in the way of Jesus and share his grace and truth with others, We always share the grace of Jesus with others. We always share the truth of God's word with others. We don't compromise one for the other. We share both. And as we continue to love God and love people, we pray that not only would more and more people join our family of faith, that's really nice, but more than that, we pray that more and more people would come into a relationship of truth and trust with the Lord through the personal work of Jesus Christ. May God grant that for us in the new year and beyond. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.